Today we've come to the end of our study of the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday mornings. And it's interesting because a lot has been said about the Sermon on the Mount. It's certainly Jesus's most famous sermon and probably the most famous sermon ever given. If you think about it, it has been memorized and quoted by more people in history around the world than we can ever imagine if you just take the Lord's Prayer section by itself. It certainly is Jesus's longest recorded sermon in the New Testament. But the, the one thing that was said that arrests my attention comes from John Stott, who is a, a pastor who helped me in, in my studies through this series. He said this, he said, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known part of the teaching of Jesus, though arguably it is the least understood and certainly it is the least obeyed. Least understood and least obeyed. That caught my attention. So beginning last August, we have sought to remedy this at least certainly spending eight months seeking to understand Jesus and his sermon. And we, while we've also spent those same eight months trying to obey this sermon each week, today we're going to close our study with that piece, with one more look at Jesus's invitation to obey these words of mine, he said. Now, what we're going to do today is something very familiar, but also very different. It's a, it's a very different day for us. If you're a guest with us, we don't, we don't have ordinations every week. And certainly what we're about to experience is new as well. What should be familiar to you is we're going to read the text this morning, like we always do before the sermon progresses. But what's different is that we're actually going to read the entire sermon this morning and let Jesus's entire sermon wash over us. And I have invited Christian and Karen and Debbie and Mark to read for us. And you can follow along in your Bible or you can follow along on the screen. But here's what I would like to ask you to do as this sermon is being read. I, I, I wanted to prepare you and me for the question that we all should ask at the end, which is, what do you believe in your life from this sermon as you hear it? In this moment of your life, what do you believe Jesus is asking you to consider, to evaluate, and to obey? There's a lot here, but I believe that as the Spirit of God is, is present, that he may push on one or two things, as if you're hearing the voice of Jesus through his words in that specific area. That's what I'm hoping and praying that the Lord will do. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning there. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth has passed away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it, you have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says he's so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put to prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, 
for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, but seek first the kingdom, kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, 
and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in you, and cast out demons in you, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we can imagine that we are like those who were there that day, uh, certainly a bit, a bit stunned and a bit overwhelmed. In some ways saying, tell us more and explain, and in some ways searching our own hearts as you spoke with authority as the Son of God. So Lord, we thank you that by your Spirit this is preserved for us, and we hear your voice through these words as well. And Lord, we want to be those who, above all, hear these words of yours and put them into practice. Lord, we want to obey not only your words, but your, your heart for us, the invitation that you, you give to us about the entirety of our lives. So Lord, as we close our time on Sundays looking into this section, I just pray that you will seal some things to our hearts by the power of your spirit who is with us right now. Lord, I pray that each one of us would have this, this part of our lives where we can look back at our time studying the Sermon on the Mount and remember a specific thing that you did. But in a sense that there was a, a my life before we studied the Sermon on the Mount and my life after. Because of something by your power that you did to change our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray that that would be the case. And we know that this is your desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what do you think? That's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. There is a lot there. And Jesus, for sure, is hitting on so many areas of our lives, isn't he? But he's, he's hitting on them with a kind of urgency, I think, and passion and intensity that comes from the reality that his kingdom has come. 
that a new age has dawned in him. God's eternal plan of salvation is here. Jesus knows that. And God's king will open wide the doors of his kingdom to all who will believe in him. And for all who will receive and believe Jesus, meaning if you are a true Christian, a Jesus follower, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God and brought into this kingdom that is not of this world, then that is going to change everything about your life and mine, isn't it? Isn't that what you hear? It's going to change everything, every part of you, your entire identity, your mind and how you think, your priorities and what will come first in your life, your worship and how you love and communicate to your Father in heaven and your actions and actually every interaction with every other human you encounter. The default modes of selfishness and sin will be transformed into selflessness and serving according to Jesus. Look at what is going to change by what Jesus communicates to us. Your life, your marriage, your parenting, your friendships, your work life, your free time, your money, your thought life. Your words, your mind, your will, your emotions, they will all be transformed according to his word because the power of God that has come to you through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing here. And how do we know this? Well, what did you just hear? You heard the same thing I did. This sermon touches on every part of of our lives with these notes of urgency and passion and intensity. Look, we know that Jesus Christ changed the world, right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, changed the world through his his birth and his life and his death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection and his ascension and now his reign at the right hand of God the Father. That is true. Jesus Christ has changed the world. Amen? And Jesus Christ wants to change your world and my world and my life and your life. And I think he does this by showing us in the end that that over all of this, there indeed are three ways to live. There's three ways to live. And that's what we're going to close with this morning. And as a matter of fact, Alex actually unfolded this in the second sermon of our series. I started the series at the beginning looking forward, and then our second sermon, Alex started at the, at the end and looked backwards, and then we jumped in. And we see, and we'll close with this, that there are three ways to live according to Jesus. The first is re- rejection and rebellion, for sure. And this category, I think, seems like the obvious opposite category to believing and following Jesus. And I think we find it in his sermon for sure. There are men and women on the planet at this point who are running their hell-bound race. Either through ignorance or willfulness, people completely reject Jesus Christ and his salvation and his ways and his commands and his invitation into life. 
if you will follow him. They have a completely different list of worldly beatitudes, right? Blessed are the, not the ones we find here, but the ones that the the world has created as priorities and categories of identity to be attained. Righteousness is not a goal for those rejecting Christ and in rebellion to Christ. It's not a goal unless it is self-serving or if it is motivated by fear or by pride, but, but lust, seriously, anger, lying, judging others, yeah. I treat others the way I'd never want to be treated. I mean, that's, look, even adultery and murder aren't necessarily out of bounds. Listen, the categories of the Sermon on the Mount are not categories to avoid, but are the default mode of life for those who reject Christ and are in rebellion to his ways. The eye is dark. And if the eye is dark, how great is the darkness within? Look, rejection and rebellion, this this path is wide but it leads to destruction. Jesus says that endless horror is the end of this road. On the day that you open your eyes and see God and realize that he was real and that Jesus was right and you had heard about him and and been begged to receive and trust in him and you turned your back and rejected him and lived life the way you saw fit and not him. That moment is going to be a moment of horror unimaginable. And so Jesus certainly warns this group, and I think we could call this group the unreligious. There's just a group that that don't connect whatsoever, increasingly so in our world today and in our society, as the the common norms and even the awareness of Christian teaching is, is further and further in the rearview mirror of modern culture. But the irreligious is a category that certainly makes sense. But the second way to live is this religiosity and hypocrisy kind of life, right? And this is, this is really the, the way to live that Jesus is exposing in this sermon in the main. Because Jesus was addressing the Judaism of his day. And it wasn't the the Judaism of the Old Testament, by the way. It was a perversion. In Jesus' day, Judaism had become a perversion. It had taken the law of God and relationship with God and added to it. It added to God's ways and his laws, the traditions of man, the rules of men, the additional things to do that didn't come from God in the first place, but from the mind of men. And those Rules devoid of true relationship with God became either outwardly achievable to their never-ending pride and smuggish self-righteousness because of how they looked on the outward, or those rules, those traditions of men became crushing and utterly condemning and shaming. This is what religion In this sense, religiosity is. It's a relationship-less system of pleasing God and impressing others with religious things. 
with outward God things. And God hates it all. This is what Jesus in the main is condemning in this sermon and exposing as certainly a way of life. It is an outward show that completely ignores the inward decay and rot that is present but is unseen. Look, it's like, it's like every casket we'll ever see. Honestly, they're gorgeous, aren't they? I mean, especially if you've sought to honor your loved one with, with no expenses spared. Like, they'll set you up with that, right? But they're gorgeous. The wood and, and the shine and the gleam and the metals and the gleam. And it's, it's really impressive looking. But in just days, what's inside would become so utterly sickening and repulsive to you if you opened it and looked in and smelled it. This is what Jesus is getting at when he condemned the Pharisees and the scribes and said, you're, you're whitewashed tombs. You're painting the outside of the tomb and it looks gorgeous. I'll tell you, I'll give you that. But inside, man looks on the outside, but where does God look? He looks at the heart. It's always been this way. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Look, this is a kind of life that, that I think we could call religious. If there is the unreligious or the irreligious, then this is a kind of life that, that onboards religion, at least on the outward. And I think that this is so applicable to us today in, in modern Christianity and modern American Christianity, not because so much of the connections to the Torah and all of the additions that they made at that point, but because much of modern Christianity is also simply a system. It's a system. It's a relationshipless system, again, of pleasing God or trying to impress others with churchy things, with God things, with Jesus things. And God hates it all. Man-made or man-conceived religiosity, God hates it. And, by the way, not just in its merits, but it destroys lives. Relationshipless Christianity, based on man-made or leader-made or denomination-made rules and traditions and outward behaviors and activities, there's no relationship with Christ, it has crushed thousands upon thousands upon thousands, especially of young people who grew up in the church. Look, God hates that because there's no him in it, there's no Christ in it, there's no life in it, and there's no power in it, and there's no relationship in it that drives the whole thing, right? It destroys lives. And I bet you can think of people now who want nothing to do with this ever again in their life. 
not because of Jesus, but because of religiosity and hypocrisy. It's a refrain that Jesus comes back to again and again, doesn't he? You hypocrite. You hypocrite. Look, if you are a Christian on the outside and you're here, but you know in your heart of hearts that you have no relationship with Jesus, no love for Jesus, no heart that is genuinely alive to him and his ways, if there is no fruit in your life of the vision that this sermon paints, the kind of categories and life that Jesus is getting at, if that is you, Jesus issues a warning here, mostly in this sermon, to this group. This path will lead to the now rebuke that you are a hypocrite. The outside does not match the inside. There's a lack of integrity in your life and authenticity. It would be better for you to just pick one or the other. Better to be hot or cold, according to Jesus. Lukewarm, vomit you out of my mouth. Look, if if that is, is you... There's a right now rebuke, but if you never respond, this path will also lead to the horrifying surprise of hearing, I never knew you on that day. And you can say all of these things, Lord, Lord, you've got to be kidding me. Grew up in church, went to youth group, went to Christian college, part of a church, served in a church. I was on this and that team, prophesied in your name that one time, went on that mission trip that one time. Look, if, if all of that is relationshipless with Jesus Christ, then the horror is going to be hearing from his mouth and his words, the only ones that matter. I never knew you. Look, look yourself today, I beg, to Jesus. This might be the moment in your life that everything changes. And everything that's been on the outside turns real. Because you're choosing to trust in Christ and him alone for your salvation and not the things you do. You can ask Jesus today, will you change that in me? Will you save me? Can I, Jesus, be born again today just like he's talking about? Because I'm tired of this life. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to fake it. And I certainly don't want the horror of hearing those words. Jesus is, saying, he's, Jesus is saying that from now on, there will be churches filled with Christians. But make no mistake about it, there will be churches that will also have non-Christians who think they're Christians. Right? And churches will have non-Christians who know they're non-Christians. Three ways to live. You have the the unreligious or the irreligious rejecting 
rebelling against Christ. You have the religiosity, the hypocrisy way of life, which is really a double life. It's two-faced. And then Jesus presents this third way to live. And I'm just calling it all of Christ for all of life. All of Jesus for all of life. I think Jesus is saying that Christianity is about all of him for all of life. Jesus is not just a starting point when he saves us from our sin because of his work on the cross. Jesus isn't a label or a pin that you wear along with all of the other stickers or pins on your backpack. Jesus isn't an ideology that defines social and moral and political talking points for you. Jesus is a person. He is the son of God. He is the savior of the world who here explains what a relationship with him will produce and what life with him will look like in his kingdom until forever. That's what Jesus is getting after here. And what did you hear? What did you, what did we hear except that every area of our lives is addressed with a kind of this, not that kind of categories? The wisdom and invitation and command from Jesus is this, not that, this. Regarding our, our fight against sin in the heart, regarding our identity, this. Not that, regarding our worship, our prayers, our giving, our fasting, this, in secret, your heavenly Father sees and rewards. Not that, for the praise of others. Jesus addresses our lifelong, complete, and sustained trust in God no matter what. This, not that. Don't, don't be anxious about your life, but this, know what your heavenly Father is like. Jesus addresses this this heart posture of asking and seeking and knocking and depending and trusting in him with all of our hearts and leaning not on our own understanding. And then there's this overarching command, the golden rule, that in every interaction with every human you ever come in contact with, every time, treat everyone the way you would want to be treated. And this for a lifetime, not fanaticism, but authenticity, walking with Jesus Christ and following him. And by the way, for this lifetime of following and loving and worshiping and living for Jesus Christ, Jesus offers his power and presence to us. Does he not? The Lord's Prayer sits at the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and it is most likely, if not for sure, the most famous part of it. But it sparkles with, ask these things. Ask them of your heavenly Father. There is no more intimate relationship in the universe than a relationship with God as your Father. And if you come to your Father, this prayer sparkles with the invitation to come and ask and seek and knock. And it comes with with Jesus' power, him saying, yes, I will if you ask these things. Yes, I will. Look, all of Christ 
for all of life, all of Christ, for all of our sin. Forgive us our trespasses. Yes, I will. All of Christ's righteousness for all of our unrighteousness. All of his provision for all of our needs. It's all here. All of his presence for all of our doubts and loneliness. All of his power for our weakness. Because of him and his spirit that he will give to us. And that will indwell in us. Look, all all of Jesus for all of life. That's what I hear. It's so radical because it's so radical, right? Jesus isn't messing around. The average Western Christian is messing around, including me too often. And it doesn't help that if you approach any kind of a life like this, you're you're considered fanatical. You're considered, even among some in your own community, crazy. Like, whoa, Nelly. I think your I think your pursuit of holiness is too much. <laughs> Could you imagine hearing that? I think your your pursuit of Christ-likeness in every area of your life. Just just slow your roll. Pump the brakes. And, and not, not a pursuit of holiness or, or godliness that's motivated by outwardness, doing your works of righteousness so everybody can see you. Trumpet blaring every time. That's not, what, that's not what's going on. But do you not hear that Jesus is inviting you into a radical life of living for him, loving him, following him, and and giving all that you have for his glory and his kingdom? And the, the shocking result is that through this kind of a life, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And people will come to Christ because of the authenticity that they see in you and the power of Christ that they see in you. Jesus knows that his people are gonna change the world because he's going to indwell his people and produce this in our lives. It's powerful, isn't it? And therein lies the invitation to us all. And we'll close here. Worship team, you can, can join me. But what, what do you think, therefore, Jesus is saying to you right now? And I wish I could talk to every one of you and ask you. I really do. And I wish I could tell you what I feel like he's telling me. At least three things in my life that I feel like he's identified. And that I hope to look back on this and say, my life changed in these three areas as a result of this study. But what is it for you? Maybe you need to come to Jesus truly for the first time. Maybe you're, you're in that rebellion and rejection category. And, and God brought you here for a reason. Come to Christ. Respond to him. Maybe he wants you to evaluate the authenticity and depth of what it means to you to follow him in every area of your life. All of Jesus for all of your life. Are there categories of your life that you just don't 
allow him into. They're closed. They are yours. How you think or how you live, maybe there are areas of compromise where the kingdom of Christ competes with the kingdom of this world and the world wins. I wonder what part of the Lord's prayer is like a magnet to your soul today. Heaven, hallowed be your name. Are you a worshiper? Your kingdom come. Your will be done, not mine. On earth, here, in this mess, and in the brokenness of my life and relationships and the things that are stuck, in the hopelessness and depression and pain and sorrow of my life, would your kingdom come? Your will be done. Maybe it's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Maybe it's sin that so easily entangles you and condemns you. Maybe it's just the the pure childlike cry that says, Jesus, please lead me not into temptation this week. And for sure help me not to lead myself into temptation. What part of Jesus' words, when you hear those who hear these words of mine and obey and put them into practice, you're like a wise man who built his life on a rock. I invite you, even as we close and, and worship and sing, to look to Christ, to commune with him in this moment. Talk to him. You don't have to answer me that question, but I beg you to answer him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, come now and do your work. We know that you intended certain things for us when we began this series, and we know that you've accomplished many. But as we close, just seal to our hearts that which you meant to remain permanently. Lord, not because we choose in our own strength to be better or to do better by ourselves but only because Christ your power and presence is available to us because of the relationship that you have brought us into by dying on the cross for our sins bringing us back to the Father Jesus we love you we pray that you would use us as followers of Jesus of you and as a church to be all that you want us to be in Jesus name